Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, John Hancock. He runs the Frugal Off-Grid Arizona Homestead. His own. He has a YouTube channel uh, called Frugal Off-Grid. So I'm going to talk to him about his uh, experience and why he does what he does and what he's learned. So, John, thanks for coming. Hey, Richard. Thanks for having me on. If you would, give me a bit about your uh, your background. How did you get to where you are? What were you doing You know, the past couple of years that led you to go in this direction? All right. I was working as a warehouse manager for a produce company when COVID started to come around and, you know, people were starting to test positive. And before that, I had already been planning on moving off grid. I was saving up for it and whatnot. And out of the blue, all the restaurants had gotten shut down. And because my business relied on restaurants ordering produce, my entire shift was laid off. And so from that point, I decided that I would just go ahead and give it a shot and do my best to find some land and start a homestead off the grid. Very cool. Why did you want to do a homestead in the first place, even before COVID? I think it started clear back when I was like five years old, you know, watching Little House on the Prairie and things like that. And even at five years old, I thought I watched that program and thought that's how life should be. I don't know how I knew that young, but I didn't want to kind of slave away my entire life at a career for some guy. I already had it in my mind that I would rather produce my own sustainability. And whether that meant working really hard or not, I had the preference that I wanted to grow my own food. So basically, you know, by the time it seemed like it might really be a good idea to do it, I had already been interested in it in a long time. Okay, very cool. So when COVID happened, what were some of the first steps you took to getting your dream going? Was it looking for land? What did you do? Yeah, I was hoping to have had a large savings, but because it was sprung on me, I didn't have much set aside and I started looking for land. And well, I started out small, you know, everyone has that ideal piece of land that's just beautifully forested with a creek running through it. And, you know, it's not ideal and it's really expensive. And so then I brought into my search to the entire United States and stumbled upon pretty affordable land in the Southwest, which is the high desert. And, you know, most people don't think that that would be ideal, but upon further research, I decided to go ahead and do it. So, okay, you're living in Arizona on your own homestead. What's the weather like for you? What's the climate like year round? It can be fairly extreme. I, I don't think it's quite as extreme as most people think. So today it's it's going to be 97. It doesn't usually get much hotter than that. I think last year it was over 100 a couple times. And what makes that more livable is that even when it's 97 today, tonight it's going to cool down to around 60. So that's good. And I would say that, you know, it can be kind of abrasive, the sun and whatnot, but the biggest thing that's really bad with the weather is leading up to monsoon season, which was this last couple of months, it gets really, really windy and there's 60 mile an hour plus gusts and whatnot. And so that's probably the worst part about the weather down here. Huh. Yeah, I visited, you know, the Southwest and 
I've been there when it's like 110, 115, and then it's like brutal. But it sounds like it doesn't yeah. get that bad where you're at. Yeah, I'm very grateful because I, I probably couldn't handle that. <laughs> so you found this place. Again, please keep going with your journey. You started looking and what happened then as you were looking for land? So I started to see that there was more affordable land in these areas because the land is quote less desirable and mostly because most people are under the impression you know they want electricity and all those things there's none of that and also if you want to drill a well out here it's it's like over 600 feet deep and so a lot of people just don't do it and therefore they give up they they think you just it's just not possible and there's not a lot of rain out here but there is enough and i thought personally with my small budget that's what i wanted to shoot for i i like a challenge and if I could pay in full for the land and just start to get set up, I thought that would be the best bet for me. I'm sure the taxes on your land every year, are they, they're probably not zero, but they're probably really low, hopefully. Yeah, not much. I think taxes is mostly based off of the property. Like if they come and reassess and see that you've built a massive home, the taxes will change. But I haven't built anything yet that requires a permit. So my taxes are like 20 bucks a, a year, something like that. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, yeah, not bad at all. Fast forwarding quickly for a moment, what have you built? Like, you know, if I was to drive to your land, like, what would I see? Yeah, so I looked up the, the city code and whatnot and figured out what I could do without permits. And from there, I was talking about my philosophy of food, water, and shelter. You know, anyone can survive with those things in place. And so the very first thing I did was start to build my shop, which is where I run my business out of now. I did that so that I had somewhere to put things and, you know, store tools and whatnot and food. And then additionally offers a surface to harvest rainwater from. So there's, well, it's about a 200 square foot shed. And then I built an awning off of the side. So I've got, you know, between three and 400 square feet of rain harvesting surface there. There's two containers that the water runs into. And that allows me to, you know, harvest some of the rainwater and you know, currently I'm expanding on that system. Oh, nice. Okay. So how much rainwater have you calculated that you need to live and how much precipitation are you getting? Like based on the amount of precipitation you get, how many days does it take to give you enough water to live for how long? So the first year I decided that I only needed between five and 10 gallons of water a day. I was really testing the boundaries. Like how minimal do I need, you know, what do I need to get by? And the system that I set up between the two sheds I have is capable of harvesting 10,000 gallons annually. And that's based off of the only 11 inches that we get annually. But I've heard other people say 14. So, you know, I'm good there. There's a buffer for sure. But that was enough at the time. And more recently, I want to be completely sustainable as far as food and water goes. And so I tripled my garden size to make sure that, you know, it's a thousand square feet. So I want to be positive that I can feed myself. And then I also have a couple of Hugo cultures I built to grow feed on for my livestock. So at any rate, I tripled my need. And so right now I can't sustain myself and I'm hauling more water than ever. The first year I only hauled like four, four containers, but I'm doing that right now. But I'm also in the, the middle of expanding my storage capacity. So soon... I'll be able to store upwards of 15,000 gallons, which is 
I can use more than 30 gallons of water a day simply from rainwater in that situation. And that would sustain me right now. Oh, nice. You know how much you need to be self-sustaining. So it's a question of enough storage. So is it a question of collection or is it a question of storage? Like you need to have a certain amount and then, well, I guess what I'm saying is with, is there enough rain where you live that you can be self-sustainable or will you always have to bring in more and more water? No, I can be sustainable. It's a matter of having enough surface and enough storage. The key is because if you think about it, most of it comes in a few months in the monsoon season. So if you don't have enough to store, you know, in my case, I need about 15,000 gallons to be sustainable for myself and my small amount of livestock. And if I can't store 15,000 gallons immediately, then, then I miss out on that, you know, and so ideally, I'd actually like to get to a point where I can store twice what I need, you know, just in case. And that way there's always room for it. And then as I go, I can also expand on the surface area, which makes the whole collection process easier when you have more than you need of both. That's excellent. So how big of a footprint is the water storage going to need to be for you to be self-sustainable? Does it sit in like one gigantic tank? Does it sit in barrels? Like how do you store it? Yeah, I could I could calculate for you what one tank would be, but that's not my setup. The way I have it is I'm currently digging a six foot wide, 16 foot long, five foot deep hole in the ground. And and because I have so much caliche in the ground, which is basically clay, it's kind of like concrete. I'm just going to line that with a liner and seal it off. And that'll be 3,600 gallons worth of storage. So I'll build one that's by the this shop. I'll build another one that's over by the shed that I have. I have enough material to do that now. And I already dug by hand another 22 foot by 14 foot by three and a half foot deep pond, which can store 5,000 gallons. And that water, although it'd be safe to drink, you know, I'll, I'll mostly just use that to water gardens and water livestock. And then I also currently have 2,000 gallons of storage. So all of them combined are upwards of 15,000 gallons and And I'm going to just continue to expand on that. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Yeah, what are some of the challenges with storing water? Like how do you prevent biofilms or algae or you know the water being fouled? Yeah, I think that it's a lot easier than most people think. I think a lot of people catastrophize many situations just because they've heard somebody else say something. So, for instance, something I hear a lot is, well, it's, you know, acid rain. It's going to be bad for you, you know, just from the sky. Well, there's this huge misconception that rainwater is bad. Well, if you catch rainwater in a cup, you're going to be just fine unless you're standing right next to some plant that's letting out really bad, you know, chemicals. But Acid rain is not really an issue because between the 70s and 80s, they started implementing, you know, laws that they had to put brushes in the stacks and whatnot. And so we're really not producing enough 
you know, toxins to cause acid rain, you know, in a large area. So there's that side of it. And then furthermore, as far as preventing like algae and whatnot, if your tanks are sealed off from light, then the algae can't be produced. So, you know, if you have a good tank, that's not going to be a problem. And I think one of the biggest issues would be potentially getting giardia, which would happen if you had pests that are leaving fecal matter in the gutters or possibly dying and falling into the water and contaminating it. And you can probably prevent most of that with having a good filter, which you can just build your own Berkey-styled filter out of different substrates. But you can prevent that altogether by simply putting wire mesh you know, over your gutters and making sure that nothing gets into it. So basically with a proper storage system, you shouldn't have any of those issues. Oh, nice. Okay. How long have you been storing water and drawing off of it? From the moment, as soon as I had my shop up, which was the first month, I was harvesting rainwater. Oh, that's all right. So you've been storing water and you were able to start using it right away. So what are some of the problems that you ran into with uh, storing your own water so far that people might not, not realize? Right. So what I was getting at is my containers are entry level containers that I started with. They're just IBC totes that had organic agave in them. So they're food grade, but they're clear. So I painted them black, which helped a lot. But over a year, it does create some algae. And so just about every six months, I was just scrubbing them out. And so, you know, I wouldn't say it was a big problem, but, you know, it's something that wouldn't happen with a great container. And to prevent that even better, though, you can add just a little bit of bleach. And I've had people respond to that oddly, where they're like shocked. Oh, I wouldn't even want that water. But you could add far less bleach than is in tap water. There's a lot of bleach in tap water. And you can even smell it in the tap water most of the time, I would say. But So you can add a much smaller amount and still prevent those kind of things. And I found out personally the hard way. Well, because I did everything as cheap as possible at first, I didn't have, it just didn't cross my mind to have that wire mesh. And I actually got mice that were storing stuff in the gutter and I started feeling sick. And it was like, I'm not the type of guy to go to the hospital or nothing. And so I'm just holding on trying to see what's going on. And, you know, after two to three weeks, I realized it was something major and I still never went to the hospital, but that's when I deduced that I probably had Giardia and I treated it. And I looked into the system and found out what was going on. And, you know, I put up the wire mesh and I've never had that issue since. Oh, good. Oh, that's excellent. You learned, unfortunately, the hard way, but it's an excellent tip. So what about the food part of it? Are you growing? What are you growing? And how did that part of it uh, start? What's it look like now? When I first came out here, I knew that I needed to sustain myself somehow. So I brought quite a bit of canned food and even canned meat because, you know, it's kind of important to have that balance. but. That's how I started. And I had never gardened before, but immediately I started trying to. And I didn't invest in any kind of soil or anything like that. I tried to do everything from my land and as minimally as possible. And one of the first things I did was walk around with a wheelbarrow and harvest a bunch of cow pies off the ground. And I broke them up and got them wet into my soil. And that was my first, that was the start for my soil. And believe it or not, the first time I tried, I planted just about everything you could imagine, even though a lot of things people told me I couldn't grow. And I grew just about everything right out the gate, like cantaloupe, watermelon, corn, all the things you would think of in a garden. And then that's when I started to experience problems with pests and whatnot. And it it took me a while because I wasn't a gardener 
and I never saw the mice, but it took me almost a year before I knew for a fact that mice were, were my biggest problem. And then I learned that, you know, with those gardens, you can wrap the garden in wire mesh, which was helpful and all that. So yeah, beginning to garden was the first step and, and it's taken quite a while and I'm, I'm two years in now and I still haven't done anything extremely substantial on gardening, but this last year, all the way through from the January, all the way through the entire year, I grew in my garden, in my hoop house. And every single day, if I wanted to, I could harvest a, a salad. So I thought that was a pretty good start to sustainability, you know. So you had to re-up your canned food? Are you eating through it less fast and more slowly? I don't think I've even bought any canned food since I've been here and I still have some left. I just started transitioning and I was baking quite a bit for a while. Then I started losing weight, so I'm not doing that as much. But I started... The quickest way to get food is I started doing livestock and, and I've harvested a boar goat, which yielded 40 pounds of meat. At this point right now, I have enough livestock on hand that I could eat eight ounces every day for two years. So the meat comes pretty quickly. The only part of that is that I need to grow enough feed to sustain that livestock to be sustainable. What kind of livestock did you get? I figured you'd get chickens, but what does yeah. well out where you are? So what did you get? And what do chickens, you want to get? What else? Chickens was easy. That was what I started with. I never really had livestock. So that was pretty easy to, to start to figure it out. Then I went on to, you know, I did rabbits for a while. I did pigs and goats and I really like the pigs the most. I think I might phase the goats out unless I can get them grazing off my land, which is something else I'm working on. But the pigs and goats are pretty high yielding there. When you harvest one, you're going to get about 40 pounds of meat. Yeah. Again, have you considered getting chickens or again, getting a goat for goat's milk, you know, not just for meat, meat, but, uh, you know, for other activities, maybe if you, you know, plant an area, the chickens can go in there and peck around and, you know, poop in there and fertilize it, or the goats can go and chew up weeds that you don't want. I mean, are there other are there other things in regards to the animals that you see would be helpful for you to do? Yeah, I produce a lot of manure. That's the main thing. So my garden is much, much better than it used to be. And the the main reason is because, well, I had rabbits and that's their manure is gold. You can use it immediately. And I had a lot of it. And I put, you know, I probably, I have three gardens for myself and I put like four wheelbarrows of rabbit manure in each of them. And then, you know, I have more than that when it comes to goat manure and even the pig manure I can break down and it can be used eventually but you can really improve use it as an amendment to improve your soil and then in addition to that you can make fertilizer out of all of them if you water it down correctly you want to let it ferment a little bit or or sit and then you can use that to fertilize your plants and you know if you just do a little bit of research you'll see how much NPK is in each one of them. Oh, so yeah, in terms of uh, fertilizer for your plants, are you now at the point where, you know, the animals you have produce enough to fertilize what you need or are you not there yet? Like what's the dynamic of your growing look like right now? Yeah, I never used man-made fertilizer in my garden, period. And so what happened is now it's just better than it was before. So I was always growing, but it just continues to get better where you have less problems where, you know, you can see when a plant is is nutrient deficient in, in certain areas, maybe it's yellowing or something. That kind of stuff happens less now. The soil's better and I have really high quality fertilizer. 
Yeah, no, that's excellent. So well, how has your health changed as you've been doing this? You're probably doing a lot more physical labor. Well, maybe you were doing a lot before in your previous job, but you're, you know, it sounds like you're probably starting to eat a lot better. What's your health been like besides the Giardia problem? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I came out at 365 pounds. So although I was extremely active at my last job, you know, I was really stressed, extremely stressed. I ate a lot, not thinking about how much I was eating. And the wild thing is, is you don't have to eat a ton to get really fat. You know, if you just eat two to three or 400 calories more than you should, you're going to get fat because it's a calorie surplus. And so I started to focus on number one, just eating fruit, vegetables, and meat, which just naturally makes you lose more weight anyway. So I wouldn't say it was the physical activity. I was always really active, but eating better started to do the trick. And then eventually after I lost a hundred pounds, then I decided to buy it. I built a little gym out there. That's a, it's a 10 by 10 gym with a squat cage and, and I go hmm. jogging and all that. And now oh, I'm wow. down uh, almost 150 pounds. Wow. That's tremendous. Good for it you. It is a lot. How do you feel? Do you feel a lot better and more able to do the work, physical work or like what's changed? Oh yeah. The, you know, low back pain is less. Heartburn is gone. I no longer take high blood pressure meds. And then, you know, like, if I'm going to go do manure or something, I can just hop into the pig pen and, you know, it wasn't that way before. So yeah, it feels better. And it feels really good that I jog a lot. And just recently I jogged 13 miles, which is the most I've ever done in my life. And it just feels good to know that I can, if something came up. Yeah, that's tremendous. Wow. And I would guess your sleep is probably better and you just probably feel better all around, right? Yeah. Yeah. It feels oh, a lot better. What's left, do you believe in? you're 100% where you want to be with your homestead. I think it'll probably go on forever just because what will I do if I'm completely finished? But, you know, as far as getting to sustainability right now, I'm putting in two cisterns and that'll put me pretty sustainable and we'll see how much feed I can grow for the livestock. Something I'm working on right now is fencing in the rest of my property in four quarters so that I can allow livestock like the goats to go out and feed one of those quarters of my property for three weeks. So goats, if they're in the same area too long, they might, after about three weeks, they might get worms and stuff if they're in that area by maybe eating their own manure or something. So after three weeks, then I can rotate them to the next spot and then continue that cycle. And, you know, a lot of people think that I can't graze my goats out here but i think that i probably can if i divide it up like that and it takes them a year to get back to the same spot so we're gonna find out you know <laughs> well yeah even if you could start rotating them a bit that would help i'm sure yeah if nothing else it's going to offset the cost of feed or offset the need for me to produce as much hmm. all right so the goats what else do you feel like you uh, you need to work on too to, to help your homestead yeah so I want to see the results this year for the garden. You know, some people say that a person can sustain themselves off of two to 400 square feet of garden. And then other people are like, no way. And that's why I'm doing a thousand square feet. So according to other people and some research I've done, I should be able to sustain myself on that. I want to see the results because, you know, at the end of the year, maybe I fell short by 30%. And so then I need to up you know, then I need to up my water harvesting and all that. And so basically it's right now, it's a matter of getting, you know, zeroing in on a large enough rain harvesting system to completely get all the water that I need for sure for me and my livestock and their feed and mine, and then do the same thing with food and make sure that it's being produced. And so I'll continue to build those systems 
and continue to build. I need to build some more kind of like, well, as I expand the rain harvesting system, it'll naturally be like agricultural sheds and it'll be the roof on there to harvest. And then at that point, I'll have more space to safely put more livestock, you know, like birthing bays and things like that, maybe a bay to milk the goats and and things. So just kind of those final touches really for for the basics and then and then as time goes on I can improve upon everything that I did I I did things pretty frugally just to make sure all the systems were in place and then you know now I can go through and perfect them and and eventually build a nice little home once I have- I mean does it get lonely out there like do you are there neighbors or anything or is it really just you by yourself I don't have any neighbors that are close by I really enjoy my solitude and I don't really go I don't see people very often you know, but I can, it's just not something that I do. And I'm, I'm not lonely though. I'm, I'm doing something that I love. I run my business. I'm always busy. I'm up at three thirty or four every morning. And, uh, wow. and I interact with a lot of people like we're interacting now. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. You know, like, uh, I talk to people from all over the world, so it's, that's pretty cool. That's what zoom and these other platforms can do. You know, it's amazing to do that. Definitely. I want to give people some practical advice if they're, you know, they're still living in the city and the suburbs, wherever they may live. What are some things that you've learned that they can do, you know, in light of rising gas prices, maybe food shortages, you know, food prices going up, everything kind of getting squeezed, you know, for the city slickers, like what's your advice? If I lived in the city and I had to live in the city, even if I was in an apartment, I would set up a small garden to grow some potatoes and corn because those are some of the highest yielding caloric foods that there are, and you can yield them within months. So even if something crazy went down, you know, you'd have all these potatoes and corn, and then you can grow more from those ones. And if you can do rain harvesting, that's good. If you live in a residential area, most places in a backyard, you could drill down 20 feet and have an emergency well for water. So those are some pretty good things to be prepared. And as far as fuel goes, you're kind of hit like everyone else, unless the only things you can do, I have a fuel station on my homestead. So if you see that, you know, fuel is going to go up, you can store yourself a few months worth fuel, about six months of each really without having any issues. And then other than that, you, the only other thing you could really do is have a vehicle that runs on ethanol. And then ethanol is pretty easy to produce. If you have, you know, corn in a distillery, you can make ethanol. And so otherwise you're kind of hit like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any, uh, so in terms of growing your own garden, what would be like the simplest thing? Would it be microgreens or, you know, or I guess you were going for the calories, potatoes and, uh, and corn and stuff like that. So, I mean, would you think microgreens or is it better to do again, the high caloric type stuff? Well, I'm not a gardening expert at all, but from what I see myself, you know, for instance, I'm growing a bunch of corn, a bunch of snap peas and a bunch of potatoes right now. And then in another garden, I have everything you'd want for a salad pretty much. So it's nice to be able to grab a salad every day because if things got hard, I can just go grab a salad and grab a few eggs from my chickens. I'm good for the day, you know? Hmm. So those are, those are kind of the main things with the garden, but yeah, I think you'd want to go for the high calories if possible, if you're looking for survival, right? Yeah, that's true. It makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, very good. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.